everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mystery Bible on Podcast. We're really excited about today's episode. You have Joel and Dan as two of your three fearless co-hosts, and we have a guest co-host today, author John Burke, who you will remember from one of our earliest episodes of the book Imagine Heaven when we discussed near-death experiences. We are excited and honored to have Mr. John Burke joining us today live in our virtual studio. And we're going to be talking about his new book, which is titled Imagine the God of Heaven. For those of you who are not familiar with our early discussion, we encourage you to listen to that one so you're familiar with the concept of near-death experiences, because I don't think we're going to rehash the whole basis for near-death experiences. However, this conversation, we want to push that topic a little bit more, and we want to make sure we cover some of the more thoughtful and applicable speculative concepts around near-death experiences and what John Burke has learned from the conversation. So welcome, John Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on the program. Your fingerprints are all over the perspective we have here at Mystery Bible On because we have done so much discussion of near-death experiences and that broader perspective. And now you have a new book. So give us a, a very quick overview of the new book and why you wrote it. And then we'll have Dan go ahead and ask some of the questions that he and I have been kicking back and forth and formulating. Well, yeah, I wrote, you know, I wrote Imagine Heaven eight years ago. 2015, after 35 years of researching over a thousand near-death experiences, and I, I was an engineer by by education and trade, so I've always been curious. Like, okay, you know, because I I'll be honest. At first, I was like, "Oh, these are weird. What are these?" You know, but it was also I was exposed to it when my dad was dying of cancer, while I was still a skeptical agnostic. And it opened my mind to explore faith in God, and I came to faith in Christ. And uh, so I studied them a long time. Um, and when I wrote in Imagine Heaven, what I was doing is I was basically showing how the commonalities of, of thousands of what thousands of people say when they clinically die, you know, they don't have heart, no heartbeat, no brain waves. And yet they say they experienced the reality of a life that's more tangible and more real than this life in a place of greater beauty and, uh, and, and peace and love, reunions uh, of, of people who had gone on before and in the presence of this God of light and love. And, and so I was trying to show how all these commonalities, and there are about 40 of them that I chronicle, um, they're what the Bible's been telling us to expect all along. But, you know, um, of all the people I interviewed, consistently what they would say is that of all the beauty, of all the reunions, of all the, the wild experiences of the life to come, nothing could compare to just being in the presence of God. Like they would consistently say, I never wanted to leave his presence. He was the love I always wanted. And, and that's why I subtitled the book, you know, Imagine the God of Heaven, uh, near-death experiences, God's revelation, and the love you've always wanted, because that is what the book is really about. It's really about God, but I um, I interviewed 70 people all around the world on every continent, every religious background, and uh, they are describing the same God. And so this is really a comprehensive book about, about God, his, his story throughout history, uh, who he is, what God is like, his attributes, his qualities, and how that relates to us personally. And so I'm, I'm showing that, what, what the Bible has said, but I'm showing it illustrated through the eyes of these people who are talking about what's that, what is that actually like. And, and so it helps you because, you know, here's the thing. How you imagine God is, is probably the most important thing you can conceive of in your mind. And because it shapes how we view ourselves, it shapes how we view the world, um, it shapes whether we really kind of hide and run from God or whether we run toward God, right? And, and so all of us, because we're finite creatures, we put God in a box, we have to. Um, and, and so what I'm trying to do in Imagine the God of Heaven is kind of blow open that box 
because God is far more beautiful and and glorious and powerful and sovereign and omnipotent and om- omniscient, all those big words than you've ever imagined. But God is also far more relatable and personable and even humorous and fun and funny. And and some of us that like, oh, uh-uh, uh-uh, can't be, but it's true. And I'm showing how that's what scripture says. That's what God's revealed, but it's also what these people say. Dan and I joked before you came on when we were talking in the studio beforehand about our questions and comments. We said, maybe he should have titled the book, Imagine That You Haven't Properly Imagined the God of Heaven. Because people <laughs> seem, seem to think that they they have this, this corner on what God must be. So I, I, I want to back up just a tiny bit because for people who may not be really familiar with this topic, and it it's totally understandable, but also totally bizarre that many Christians are not at all familiar with the topic of near-death experiences or even what they are. And I've had seminary-educated people tell me, oh, that's been debunked. And I said, I, well, clearly you haven't you haven't read anything about this because it's, it's a major publication in medical literature uh, oh, yeah. or a major uh, area of publication, and it, and it hasn't in any way been debunked. But there, so I, I want to bring right to the surface this, the tension of the topic. The first element is what you are saying is that you are convinced that when somebody clinically dies and has a, uh, a an ineffable experience and comes back and relates that experience, that there's a reality to what they have experienced. And that experience very frequently involves heaven and God and sometimes hell. And, and they're coming back and they're telling us something. And you're saying that in your personal journey, you have become convinced that what they're describing is real and that it's the same spiritual reality that is described in scripture. And by the way, I, I, I join you in that conviction. And it was not something that I necessarily would have prior to reading Imagine Heaven, your first book, and which sent me spiraling down the rabbit hole of near-death experiences. And I've been all over the place with them now, as I'm sure you have. And I know Dan has yeah. as well. And I told Dan, I said, I literally think about this stuff every single day now. And <laughs> we'll have some some comments and questions on how to handle that later. But I think it's a really, really important topic. And it's really important for Christians to know. However, the obvious tension is that it doesn't. it's not the Sunday school version of heaven. It's something like it, but there's a lot of things in these experiences that are beyond or different or right. what we what a you know what an Orthodox Christian or a, a, a postmodern American Western evangelical Christian would say, well, that sounds all out of order from what I thought. And yeah. so can you address a little bit of how how you deal with that tension? You know, people who are being uh, having their a faith crisis as a result of hearing somebody say, "I died and I met Jesus." but I had never said a particular prayer before I died. And so I, I'm just giving that as an example. These are the kinds of things where if you're going to go down this rabbit hole, you you have to wrestle with them. Well, yeah. And so, yeah, you threw out some three big bombs right there, <laughs> three big grenades. Uh, I don't know which to tackle. I mean, I think the first is just to say, we can come back to this if you want, but in chapter two of Imagine the God of Heaven, I I go after all the alternate explanations for near-death experiences, you know, and there've been like 30 of them, but there are 30 because there's not a good one. (laughs) That's the problem. And I'm showing the 10 points of evidence that convinced me and many skeptical doctors that this is grounded in our reality first so that we can believe what they're really talking about is real. It's, it's, it's more than real. Um, but also, it is astounding that that Christians have have not um, have not embraced in the sense of trying to help make sense of these. And here's why: there been there are millions of them all over the globe. So, 2019, um, European uh, Academy of Neurology does a study across 35 countries and finds that. of all people have had a near-death experience. We're talking millions all across the globe. Now, the Gallup poll found about the same thing in America. Um, There have been like 900 scholarly studies done on this, published in the the Journal of the American Medical Association and the Lancet and many other 
publications. So, for, and, and none of those studies, by the way, are saying, "Hey, this is false." They're they're studying it because it's a it's it's a an actual area of medical interest, and it's taken very seriously. Yes, because. Uh, for instance, you know, one of the points of evidence, there are verifiable observations that people make when they die. So they're, they, they die, they're out of their bodies, they say, but in a spiritual body, you know, just like, like Paul claims. And we, I think we talked on the last podcast about how I think Paul might have had a near-death experience in Acts chapter 14 when he was stoned to death. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 14 years ago, whether in my body or out of my body, I don't know, but I was taken up to heaven. Well, that sounds very much like a near-death experience. Stephen sees heaven open and he sees Jesus as he's getting, right when he's getting stoned to death. That's a near-death experience as well. So these are not foreign to scripture, but um, when people are out of their body, they say they're up above in this spiritual body not just with five senses, more like 50 senses, and they are watching their resuscitation. Now, when they come back, they can tell details of who was in the room, what happened, what was said, that they shouldn't have known because they had no brain waves. The brain wasn't working. And there have been studies done of how accurate these verifiable observations are, and they found that 92% of the observations are completely accurate, another 6% mostly accurate, only 2% inaccurate. So that grounds these in reality. Uh, a second one is that blind people, when they have a near-death experience, can see, and they see the same things as sighted people all over the world. Like in, in Imagine the God of Heaven, I have a woman, Debbie, um, who is blind. She collapses on her floor of her bathroom and her, her mother rushes in, she's up above, and she's seen her body and her mother for the first time. And when she comes back, is able to describe that her, her mom was wearing a robe, and it was a dark color. And she said, yeah, I was wearing my black robe. And then Debbie is taken to this, this heavenly place where, um, where she encounters God who is light and love, um, but she also meets her grandmother, uh, who she had never met in life because her grandmother died before, you know, when, before she was born. And so when she comes back, she describes what her grandmother looked like, and her mom says, well, yeah, that's right, but when she was like 30. So, so here you have three points of evidence, verifiable observations, blind people describing things that they wouldn't have heard on earth, um, like how light comes out of everything in heaven, which by the way, John says in Revelation 21, and Isaiah says in Isaiah 60, there's no sun or moon, the glory of God is its light. Why would blind people come up with that? They would have heard light shines on things, not out of things. And then people meeting deceased people that they didn't even know or didn't know it died, like little kids who meet their sibling when they're in a near-death experience, come back and tell their parents, I met my sister and you, you don't have a sister. Yeah, I met her in heaven. And they're like, oh my gosh, we, we had a miscarriage. We never told you about that. So those are just three points of evidence that yes, I think ground it in reality. So it's astounding to me that, that Christians are not willing to wrestle with this in order to make sense of it and, and interpret it. Because here's the thing, evil is very happy to interpret it for people. And this is what happened. Um, early on, when I started studying this in the 80s um, and the 90s, uh, what was happening is as these near-death experiencers were coming forward, they would often go to their pastors and explain it. And I'll tell you, I mean, at first I thought, okay, this is very weird. You know, this doesn't, this doesn't fit. Um, it does fit, but it takes really studying the scriptures, you know, and, and opening the, the box uh, that we, we kind of put God and the life to come in. And, you know, and that's what, you know, I did for 35 years. So I think, I think for Christians, what we have to realize is there's nothing to fear here. The, the confusing part 
comes in 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 understanding that these people are interpreting an experience. So I point out that I'm really looking at what they report and and where what they report is consistent with one another. Um, because people will say things that are one off. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> you know, I'll wait and see. Um, I don't believe everything every near-death experiencer says. I don't think that's even a good idea. And the other reason is because what near-death experiencers are, are describing is not eternal life or eternal death. So in Hebrews 9.27, it says it's appointed for mankind to die once, and then comes a judgment. Now, that tripped me up for a long time. I'm like, well, then what are these near-death experiences? And then I realized one of the commonalities is that in their experience, they come to a border or a boundary. They knew they couldn't cross and still come back to earth. So whatever happens after they cross that boundary is crossing into eternal life or eternal death. But this near-death experience is not that. It's something in between. And in this new book, Imagine the God of Heaven, I even have Jesus telling some of them, you haven't died yet, you have to go back. And yet they have died. I mean, they, they didn't have brain waves. So according to our definition of clinical death, but there is, there is an in-between that they haven't crossed over yet. Now, that's also important because um, people experience God, this God of light and love from all different religious backgrounds and cultures even though they don't know Jesus or believe in Jesus. I know that trips Christians up. I have to remind you what the Bible says, <laughs> which is Acts chapter nine, Saul was having Christians arrested and murdered. He didn't believe in Jesus. He thought it was blasphemy to say Jesus was the Messiah when this brilliant God of light, sound familiar, appears to him and he knows this is God. And he's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Now, I like to point out that Jesus did not tell Paul the gospel. He didn't explain what he had to go do. He later sends Ananias to explain that. And Paul still had a choice. So God does not violate free will, even when he appears to someone in a near-death experience. They still come back. And just like Paul, they can, they can decide to... You know, Paul could have kept being a Pharisee. He had a lot to lose, or he could lose a lot to follow Jesus. And it's the same with near-death near experiencers. You know, what's fascinating in this new book, so um, one, of the, one of the guy's testimonies in there is uh, Dr. Rajiv Parti, who, who was a chief anesthesiologist at the Bakersfield Heart Hospital. Okay, so this is like no slouch of a guy. He did not believe in near-death experiences. He's an anesthesiologist. So he had had a lot of patients come out and start talking about a tunnel and light and beauty and this God, and he'd give them a shot of, of antipsychotic drug. And then he had one. And it changed his life. Um, and what's wild about it is he starts in an experience of hell. And he, he had... He had become uh, a, an addict. He had become abusive. It's very materialistic. I mean, he's, he says all this. Um, and he cries out to God for repentance. He used the word repentance. And long story short, he is taken by two angels that he said were, were angels from the Bible, Christian angels to this beautiful place where he's brought before this God of light, brighter than the sun by a thousand times, full of, of love, who gives him a life review and says, I'm going to send you back, Rajiv, but I want you to see what needs to change. And then he, he sees his life review and he thinks he's going to send me back to hell because that's what I deserve. But instead, God had mercy and compassion on him. And he, and he comes back. Now, here's, here's the crazy part. It's just like Paul. He later sees the same God of, of, of light and love when his friend dies. The night his friend dies and he sees his friend 
who he had been telling about this God of light and love. And he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, out of the light steps a man with a beard and a robe and says to him, I'm Jesus, your savior. And he falls to the ground and says, namaste. And, and he even uh, later, or it might even have been before this, uh, got baptized. Really all he knew. So I, I, I think what you're saying, and this might be the uh, the headphone issue that you had mentioned before, if you want to swap them, yeah, and that's fine. But I swap them out. Yeah, go, go for it. And uh, it's just amazing that we can do this from three different places and three different states. is a professional youtuber podcaster and i can't get him to help me <laughs> it's all right no this sounds good actually whatever this headset sounds really good that that's you just better. put in yeah that that's sounds good. great okay. okay so john what you were describing i think is that when somebody starts exploring this area and opening up the this horizon of possibilities that whatever is on the other side it's bigger than we previously imagined. And that's kind of the theme of your book is, is pushing people to imagine this, uh, imagine heaven, imagine the God of heaven, imagine that whatever you previously imagined might not have been big enough, then it, it forces this expansion in our minds and hearts of what we thought we knew. And a lot of it is that we find it what what we're hearing from people it's not that it changes the nature of god or the character of god or the nature of the gospel or the salvation of jesus christ or the goodness of god it just kind of changes how we think about the rules that we thought we had in mind on how it all has to work and i i think you're you're uh highlighting of the the fact that this is not eternity necessarily is really helpful because it, a lot of these do kind of take place in this borderland issue. It reminds me, we also did a podcast episode on the great divorce by C.S. Lewis, and he's not mm -hmm. in any way trying to explain what heaven is like, but most of that story takes place in this weird borderland where it's not quite heaven, it's not quite hell, it's definitely not earth, and there's heavens kind of on the, on the other side of something but there's these heavenly interactions that are going on. And I don't know yeah. how he, how he knew what he knew, but it's in, in the, uh, in the near death experiences that you detail, I think it's helpful for readers or listeners to consider that this is a, 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 a not eternal state. This is a, uh, an experience of a, a taste of something that's on the other side. And it doesn't necessarily change the, the theology and the understanding we have of salvation and how it works, but it does expand our concept of Christ's love and his interaction for people that with, with people that he cares about and how the what matters with the things that we do here on earth and how it changes how we think about how we interact with people here on earth and those are the sorts of things that are very consistent with what Paul is saying frequently in the New Testament I often say Paul's a mystic in the New Testament he's talking about this stuff all the time we just kind of yeah. glaze over it but then as you read uh, your work and similar work and go back it, it, it Paul's absolutely referencing these things so I want to pass the mic to Dan um, because I've, I've promised to do that and we're uh, you know uh, 20 plus minutes in here and I haven't done it yet and I know he's uh, got a bunch of questions so Dan um, I'll go on mute and you uh, you jump in with some of your questions for John Burke uh, yeah so First off, and this seems like a topic that uh, just comes up all the time. So thanks for writing the books, taking the time to do the research. Um, I know that in, in my house, this is something, a topic, I mean, probably at least weekly, find myself talking to a kid ab about, you know, life circumstances or questions about God. And, and I often reference, well, have you read Imagine Heaven? Like, do you remember this part, like what these people say? Because it, it does add so much color to what you already see in the gospel um and it has impacted my kids i mean i have a nurse or a, a daughter who's about to graduate nursing school mm. and she's thinking about becoming a hospice nurse partly because of that book wow. so um but so my question first question is how has being immersed in this research and you know like i can read the book and it has that impact talking to all these people doing all this research writing the book how has that impacted your walk with jesus and you know, being a pastor, how often do NDEs come up in your sermon illustrations and notes? Well, as a pastor, not that much, um, honestly. And and the, and here's the reason: because 
people can't often make the jump. Um, if you haven't, you know, that's, that's why even in the new book and imagine the God of heaven, I, I do take some time to help orient people to why this is not just wacky, crazy stuff. Uh, what I really believe it is, is God's new global apologetic. I think God is giving us these testimonies from all over the world to show us in our age of interconnected, you know, global media, that he is the God of all nations. And I'm trying to show and imagine the God of heaven, the biblical root of that for Christians. Because I think Christians, yeah, they do. They get confused. Like, well, why would Santosh, this Hindu, describe the holy city of God and 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 seeing both hell and heaven and 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 Jesus who has compassion on him and why would Bibi, a, a Muslim in Tehran, have a near death experience and this God uh, who is just like Santosh described says I am He who is, <laughs> which is exactly what He said to Moses right as a brilliant light and you know, that wouldn't burn up the bush and at what I'm trying to show is you know all the way from Genesis 12. One through three, God raises up Abraham and Sarah to form a nation that he said would bless all nations. That was the whole point, to bless all the nations. And the prophets foretold of this savior of the world, not just Israel, but all the Gentiles, the whole, all the nations. And then Jesus comes and says he lays down his life. Now I want you to go tell it. To all the nations, there's forgiveness in my name. And then Revelation chapter 7, you see all the nations, every nation, tribe, tongue, and language gathered around the throne of God, worshiping him. And then there's a big wedding, <laughs> which, which I point out, you miss the point of the Bible if you miss the fact that it's God's great love story for every person of every nation. And I think Christians do often miss that. I think we get a very myopic view um, and we need to be reminded, no, this God created all and wants all to, to be with him forever. I and don't know as, if you as, noticed as, that the, the logo for our podcast has the the Tower of Babel. We we talk a great deal about the nations and the the reconciliation of the nations and the nations being a, a theme through Scripture, and how how important it is to how hard it is to understand the Bible if you don't have an understanding of what God is doing with the nations and that He's drawing the nations to Himself. And so, from that perspective, for for Mystery Bible on listeners. Uh, of course, we should expect that somebody who is born Muslim or Hindu is going to have a, a, some sort of confrontation with Jesus Christ when they, you know, when they get to the other side of this life. And there's going to be some acknowledgement because we we read verses like every nation is going to bow the knee. And then we and then if we want to take it a step weirder, it says on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that's a fun part that we like to skip over, not on this mm -hmm. podcast, but everywhere else we do. So, and, and <laughs> yeah. you, you mentioned earlier that e evil loves to play with this idea. And what we find as we've talked about some of the, the darker occultic topics is there are out of body and astral projection experiences and similar uses of, I, I, I want to use this phrase, but it doesn't quite capture it, similar uses of this out-of-body technology for evil and, and kind of what it leads us to recognize is we can we can think of of reality as man, you know man centric body centric reality where we are the the source of consciousness or we can realize like the bible says that our bodies are temporary but we're not mm -hmm. and that we we spend time in this body but the real you know the, the 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 larger reality is what's happening outside of our body and that can be good or evil and uh there are people who experience that from dark occultic uh, ways, and then there are people who experience it from death ways, and and really we're all going to have some some experience, and some of us I guess get get more than one experience of what it is to be out of the body, and what you find when you get out of the body, and suddenly you're interacting with things that you don't normally interact with. Right. Yeah, and you know, Paul says he was taken up into the third heaven. Well, what's the third heaven? Well, as best I can tell, you know from an ancient perspective, the first heaven is kind of like the stars, the, the heavens. 
the third heaven is like the new Jerusalem. It's like where the, where the inhabitants of heaven are with God. Um, and actually that's the intermediate heaven. Um, because when, when all things are made new earth, heaven and earth will be joined, but that's a whole different topic. But the second heaven is the realm all around us, the spiritual realm all around us that is in a dimension beyond ours. Uh, the way I like to say it is imagine if we're, we're living this three-dimensional life on a flat black and white painting in your living room and death is separation. So your flat black and white self is peeled off and brought out into this three-dimensional room where you experience three dimensions of color. And then imagine you're pressed back into the flat black and white and you have to describe three dimensions of color in flat black, two-dimensional black and white terms. That's what indie eaters consistently tell me is, is happening. So there is a realm in dimensions beyond ours that, that are all around us right now. And of course, that's where the Bible talks about, you know, the spiritual, the spiritual battle that's going on all around us. And that, that Satan is the ruler of this world. Uh, well, we don't see him. We don't see the demonic and we don't see angels. But there's, there are things going on all around us. And, and my point there is that, and, and you know, even in, the, in Imagine the God of Heaven, some of the people I interviewed saw that as they were going, they saw what was going on all around and the battle going on. And the reason that's important is, you know, I've got, I've, I play soccer and I've got these young guys who, you know, I was talking to them about Imagine the God of Heaven, my research, and like, oh yeah, that's cool, man. I, I'm into near-death experiences. And about every six months, I go do a trip on ayahuasca just to like get my, my uh, spiritual bearings back in, in order. We've had great conversations though, because, you know, I tell them like, I think those, those what we call gateway drugs may actually be a gateway. Um, you know, fascinating thing I wrote about in Imagine Heaven was that uh, Dr. Walter Penfield uh, decades ago did a study on epileptic patients and he did surgery with their skulls open and he put electrodes in places of their brain. And, and he, he, he found out like he would stimulate something and their right arm would go up and he'd be like, okay, that's the area of the brain that controls the right arm. But they would say, you're doing that. I'm not, which completely changed his view from a materialistic view to realizing a dualistic view that there is a soul separate from the body. But he also found a trigger point where they said, I'm leaving my body now, which, which is kind of fascinating, right? Now, I don't know, is, is there, is there a, a trigger point that when we die, that kind of triggers and we're able to leave, our soul leaves our, our physical body, maybe, and maybe gateway drugs do the same thing. Now, here's the problem. Or, 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 or transcendental meditation, astral travel, astral proje projection, all that may be very real, but you're going into a realm unprotected. And it's the realm that is the dominion of evil primarily. There's a battle going on and you're going in unprotected. And I like to point that out because in near-death experiences, um, Believers find that they have either angels or a welcoming committee that comes to them and they know they're there to love them and guide them and protect them. And I had so many say, and protect me, that I started asking, protect you from what? And they never knew. They said, I don't know. I just knew they were there to protect me. And, and, and so there is, there's something to remember there that, yeah, all this, these spiritual experiences may be very real but you're going unprotected and you can be deceived. Yeah. That, and that's a really important point. And one thing, I think even in this podcast, we reference back to imagine heaven quite a bit and talking about, you know, what we think of as reality, the spiritual world is not less real. Or, I mean, you mentioned it in this book, you think of God as spirit, which doesn't mean he's like some wispy vaporous thing, but he's, this is consistently described as more real. Mm -hmm. And then you you mentioned people seeing these angels and 
uh, as I was reading, you know, people would describe the angels as like 10 feet tall, 12 feet tall, 15 feet tall, these huge angels. And so that's... By the way, initially, that was one of those where I was like, huh? Yeah. You know, I was like, I don't know. I don't know about that. And then again and again and again, you know, and they're like, some describe they're like light beams, but beautiful at the same time. And and can appear different ways. And, and, and so all of that, it starts to put the pieces together though, when you have people, you know, talking about their spirit guides or, um, and it's not that that's not real. It's just that they don't know if those are good angels or demonic angels. Right. And they're, they're deceivers. Right. So and we're told that they, they will dis- dis- disguise themselves. Right. Uh, so another question I, I have is, um, you know, you, you as even I'm reading this book, right. And I, like, I can be going through the book and just get all pumped and excited. And like, it's, it's inspiring. Like it, it really drives like an eternal perspective home. And then like, you know, an hour later, something can happen and you just kind of lose it. And so with people who have experienced these near-death experiences and seen all this, uh, you know, part of me thinks, okay, how can they ever go back to normal? And maybe on some level, they never go back to exactly as they were. Um, But then I was thinking through, well, of course, people have a very good capacity to, to just go back to the status quo because you see it all the time in scripture, right? Like, the people leaving Israelites fleeing Egypt saw God part the Red Sea and saw all these incredible miracles. And then would short while later, you see them complaining and moaning and, and um, so talking to these different end years, how many of them would you say seem to have like a, a lasting positive impact and how many of them, it just kind of fades to a distant memory. Well, I would say I, I, I have not talked to anywhere. It just fades to a distant memory. Um, in fact, what they consistently say is it's not a memory that fades like memories in your brain. It's a memory in your soul, in your yeah. spirit. And, um, and when they go there, it's as vivid today, they say, as it was then. However, it doesn't mean they're perfect or infallible. And I think that's a very important point because sometimes I find people, they, they read and they study near-death experiences as, as if this is God's new revelation. And it's not. Uh, these are just sinful, ordinary people. And when they come back, they're still sinful, ordinary people. Now they've had an experience and that experience has shaped them, but they still have to live behind the veil. And they tell me, you know, and I've seen it. I mean, they, you know, they still struggle. And, um, you know, in, in, in some cases, like I just, um, I was just reading uh, an email that one girl sent me. She was 20 when she had this near-death experience. And she said it completely changed my life. I found the father, my narcissistic abusive father never was. And this love that... I never wanted to leave. And I just still even thinking about that love, it overwhelms me. And she said, but I'm ashamed to say when I came back, I I didn't follow God's will and ways. And she got pregnant out of wedlock. And, you know, then she talks about these other things. And there have been other, you know, near-death experiencers who um, have come back and in depression because they wanted to be there. Why do I have to be here? Because it's still hard. In fact, it's harder to be here. As one, as one guy, Dean Braxton told me it going back into your body, it's like, it's like being put back in the sewer. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to go there. Um, and we, you know, we don't see it clearly, uh, on this side. So I think it's important to realize that they're just human. And I think a better way to look at what a near-death experience is, you know, I can be invited to go and visit Buckingham Palace and see the place 
and report on what it's like, but that doesn't mean the royal family is adopting me to move in permanently. And I think that's what a near-death experience is like. It's God giving testimony because he's going to send them back or, or they're going to choose to go back. And he knows. And in many cases, he tells them, I want you to tell them the truth. Like Santosh, this, this Hindu man, who he, he sees hell. He sees and, and describes the 12 gates of the New Jerusalem. He didn't know what it was. He'd never read the Bible. And he sees God on his throne with, and all the 12 gates were closed to him, but there was a very narrow gate, he said, that was open. And God has compassion, says, I'm sending you back. He said, when I come back, I want to go through that narrow gate. You know, and when he comes back, he finds out as he reads the Bible where it says, you know, I am the gate. Jesus says, I'm the gate through which you enter the kingdom of heaven and, and, and came to faith. But I think what, what God is showing us through all of these is that he's real and we live behind the veil where he stays somewhat hidden. His Holy Spirit is here and, and he's, he's holding back evil and he's prompting us toward him, but his reality is greater than we can imagine. And, and, and so that's what I'm trying to do in Imagine the God of Heaven is show what all these qualities are like so that we will trust him wholeheartedly, so that we will see how crazy he is about each one of us, how unique each one of us is to him. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Uh, so there's a whole nother side of the NDEs, which is the hellish side. Um, and, and you talk a little bit in the book about, about hell and how it's really justice for the free will creature that demands for God to stay out. Have you interviewed many people with hellish NDEs? And, yeah, and if, do they end up seeing their need for Jesus the same way as somebody who experiences Jesus in their NDE does? Yeah, I mean, what's fascinating to me is that I find almost all the ones who have hellish experiences, they come back seeking God with all their might and they come to faith in Jesus. I mean, I have three yeah. pastor friends who became pastors because they had hellish experiences. Now, it wasn't the fear of hell that motivated them to become pastors. It's that in this, they cried out to God to save them. And as Joel says, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. They, and, and he came to them. You know, he, he is, and this is what we got to understand. You know, sometimes it really bothers me because I find Christians sometimes are way more concerned of making sure the right people go to hell than making sure everybody understands how to stay away from it. Yeah. And, and, and we need to understand that. And I, and I have in there multiple people having near-death experiences who talk about how God let them feel the, there is no words for the depth of sadness he feels when his children reject him. And, you know, hell, hell is, is out of the presence of God. So when a free will creature that was created for God's love and to love God, which by the way, requires freedom, you can't force love, you can't buy love. Someone has to be free to either accept or reject it. Same with God. So hell is the free will creature saying, stay out of my life. I want to be God. My will be done. And it, it, it saddens God more than we can possibly imagine, like losing your entire family, you know, in one accident. And um, yeah, so, so I find many times, though, that, that people who have experienced that, and, and imagine the God of heaven, one of the things that, that confused me at first is I, you know, when, when the, I knew the Lord wanted me to write and, I, and write about him, and I said, okay, you know, I haven't, I hadn't written in eight years um, because he called me to be a pastor and it's hard writing books and doing all this stuff at the same time. And so I said, you know what? You called me to be a pastor. That's what I'm going to do until you tell me otherwise. And then he did. And I said to him, well, like I had 35 years to research, 
you know, you got to help me. And he brought people from all over the world to me. It was just, just astounding. Um, because I think he wants, I think he wants us to see that what he did through Jesus, he did for all people and all nations so that really, truly, the only thing that can keep us away from God is our pride. You know, a heart saying, I don't want you. But all that we need to be made right with him is a heart turning back to him in honesty, you know, for forgiveness and to let him be God of our lives. And what he's done through Jesus made that possible so that he could be both just and merciful. So I, I want to go back to the analogy you used of a temporary visit to Buckingham Palace, because to take that analogy a step further, and we're told in Romans 8 and various other places that we are being offered the opportunity to be uh, uh, heirs and part of the royal family in that. However, in that, Paul's creating this tension of, of saying, this is who you are, but you don't get to live in the palace yet. You still got to go back or you got to live this, this reality of, of, of where you are instead. The question, and I know this is a broad open-ended question, but now that you have spent a lot of time thinking about that plot narrative, what do you think we are and what are we doing here? <laughs> Well, I think we are created in love and for love. God is love and love overflows. And, and so God in love created us for that, for his love first. And then, and then to experience this love with one another that comes from God. And that is what people say heaven is like. Our relationships aren't less in heaven, they're greater because his love infuses all of it. And so I think what's going on on planet Earth is that we are living in the knowledge of both good and evil for a time. Now, I have my own theory. I don't know if it's right. It's just a theory. You're, you're perfectly I, allowed to speculate here. We do a lot of that. Okay. Well, I'm, you know, I've, I've thought of a lot about like, okay, well, Angels had a free will. They were created by God, and yet some of them rejected him. And, and he gave them what they wanted. Again, it says in the Bible that hell was not created for people. Hell was created for the fallen angels. There is only one place where the love and the life and the light of God will not go. And it's the place where he gave them what they wanted, not God. So... Um, what I was thinking about is, all right, well, angels are eternal. And so what would keep them from others from rebelling against God and, and being cast into hell? And the aha was that God has created a, a new creature called humans, a little lower than the angels for a while, but not forever. Right? It says we will rule over angels or govern over is a better word, probably. But angels then are assigned to guard us and record our lives, everything. I, you know, Jim in, in the last chapter of Imagine the God of Heaven talks about, you know, he, he had a guardian angel and a scribe angel and a warrior angel with him. And they told him everything, every thought, every prayer, everything is recorded. In heaven. And it says in the Bible that angels long to look into these things. So my theory is that we are given for a short amount of time, 70, 80 years, a taste of heaven, but very muted. I mean, this is this is like just a shadow of the real beauty and the real love and the real experience. And we're given a muted taste of evil and suffering as well. And so we always ask, why? Why would God allow this? Well, because we're learning what's wrong with earth. God's will and ways are not done here. 
And, and the whole creation is subject to chaos and disease and death and famine and all these things and people doing their will more than they think about doing God's will. And so it's a, it's a time of choosing. Now, God, in his love and mercy for all his children, has made it so simple. We can all be rescued out of this with him forever with a simple turn of the heart. It's called repentance. Turn, turn your heart back to God. And what Jesus did made a way for us to be forgiven and made right with God. But the other thing Christians need to understand is that doesn't mean, oh, well, then the story's done. No, because what we are doing on this earth is continuous with what we will be and do in, in the life to come. Life doesn't end here and then start over with something completely different. It becomes what it was meant to be. And what we do in this life, Jesus was very clear about this. It matters. It counts. And, and every little act of kindness, when you use your, your gifts or, or, you know, your, your talents or abilities to, you know, to, to please God and to serve humanity, all those things are showing that you are worth trusting with things that are going to last. I mean, this is not me. This is the Bible. This is Jesus. And, and so, um, I think that is what we are doing here. We are learning and it's the first chapter of the rest of the, the real story of life. Well, I, I love that answer. And it is so consistent again with the kinds of things that Paul is trying to put into words when he says in Ephesians three, that the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms through the church. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just like, we're, we're, we're this we're this demonstration of something about God. And I, I go frequently to uh, Romans three, where we have the, 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 the passages that, that, you know, that we quote all the time about salvation and it being a gift. And, and then it says he did it to demonstrate his justice and he did it to demonstrate his justice in the past and in the present time. And then the question that doesn't get asked is who's he demonstrating to? Cause it's not, it's not to us. And, I, yeah. and so Paul is painting this picture that we as humans, are somehow in this in-between place, and I sometimes refer to it as it, it's a setup to have to have faith, <laughs> like because mm -hmm. faith is the thing where you you have to make the decision about what you can't see clearly, and it's it's like we as humans are are set up in this perfect experience exactly as you described, where you're going to get some of one and you're going to get some of the other, and you're going to have to decide what you believe about it. And I've been right. contemplating. And, and, and because we're not in eternity, because we're in time, in a one-way linear time, we can have a second chance. We can have grace. So oh, I do, yeah, I do believe that when you cross over that border or boundary into eternity, that somehow choices are eternalized. Mm. And that's why I don't. I don't personally think that, you know, after you die, you know, if you, if you, if you made a bad choice, you get a, you get to try again. And I don't think it's because that's not God's heart. I think it's because of the nature of what eternity is. I think that's a, a really neat, uh, a, a really helpful way of thinking about it. If you had two more hours, we could we could extend that conversation. But I know we're coming up on the uh, on the time you allocated to us, um, Dan. Any anything before we uh, wrap up here with John Burke? Because I, I want to honor his time commitment to us. Yeah, I mean, I I would just encourage if you're listening to this podcast, I I would very much encourage you to get this book, uh, get both his books. Imagine heaven and imagine the God of heaven. Uh, you know, I was very skeptical when I first started reading the first one. And it just shows what how good a friend that Dan is, that when I'm like, Dan, I found this weird book, you should read it, that he actually does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like pretty soon you get to a point where you can't just write it off and overlook it. And I mean, these books really do a good job. You know, they, they don't replace the Bible. So, you know, read your script, read the Bible. And, and take everything you read in these books back to the Bible and, and compare your notes. Absolutely. And and when you do, I, I think you'll realize that what this does is really add a lot of color and and kind of open our eyes to things that we were missing. And and the book does a really good job of of doing that, of 
of pointing out just how much bigger God is, how much bigger all of reality is than we can even remotely grasp. You know, one of the recurring themes is, is these people cannot come up with the right words because the right words don't even exist to describe what they're seeing. And he also does a great job of, of pointing out like that Jesus is the answer, right? Like we need Jesus. We were created for relationship with Jesus and it, it really all does uh, boil back down to Jesus and our need for him. So, you know, I would encourage you, there's so much more in this book. I mean, the, the audio book of just this one is over 10 hours. We've been on here for less than an hour. We have not even scratched the surface of what's in here. So uh, there's there's a ton of stuff, that, a ton that will apply and to, to day-to-day life, right? It doesn't just apply to where we're looking towards eternity, but it applies to how we live now. And it you know, answers a lot of questions that people ask and that people come up with and people wrestle with about who God is and how can he do this and why does he do that? A lot of those types of questions are addressed in this book in a really unique way. So uh, excellent book, highly, highly recommended. Thank you so much, John, for giving us an hour of your time and coming on here and talking with us. Well, you're very welcome. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, Let's do it again sometime. We can we can talk about my favorite part, which, you know, when I did this study, I went back through all my theology books. And you know what I found? I found that there was not one theology book that talked about the characteristic of God of joy. Mm, yeah. Not one. And yet it's what Jesus said his last night on earth. He said, I've told you these things so that my joy will be in you and your joy will overflow. Yeah, And, you know, my, my favorite part of the book is that last section talking about doing life with the God of joy and what people experience and how we can experience that today. So then we can do a part two on that. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I, we, we welcome it. And um, John, I, I want to say just personally, the thank you for the work that you're doing. It's meant a great deal to me. I know it's meant a great deal to Dan. I hope it means a great deal to our listeners. You've been... Um, tasked by God to carry a, a particular uh, work for him in the writing that you're doing and, and the orienting of people's minds and thoughts to these topics that just get overlooked a lot. And that's a, I, I don't know how or why he chooses who he does, but but he seems to have called you to either. that in particular and <laughs> and you're and you're doing good work and and we're benefiting from it and I think many many people are either and and now that you're on the mystery bible on podcast you've had a big break and so our our dozens of <laughs> listeners are going to really take this to the next level for you so we we're so grateful well, just to come to, on just to make sure I fit in I I sometimes look at it and I go how did you get me into this this is weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's the fun of it. It'd be boring if we always knew what was going on. We should. Yeah. D- Dan and I have been in a lot of situations together in our travels and the work we've done for the kingdom. We've we've gone. How did we get here? You know, we're in the middle of nowhere in India. What's happening? You know, so yeah, it's right. uh, it's an it's an adventure, and we uh, we appreciate the overlap here. And I do hope we can have you back on because I know there's so much to uh, to talk about. So, listeners, Absolutely. go find John Burke. John, uh, real quickly, where can people find you? What are you doing? Where do you want people to go? Uh, take a minute, direct them to uh, what you have going on, and then we'll wrap up. Um, yeah. So imagine the God of heaven.com, just the name of the book, imagine the God of heaven.com. You can find out more information there. And, um, and yeah, the book's available wherever books are sold. Uh, I'm at gatewaychurch.com. Uh, that's the, the church that I, I, I was a founding pastor. So I'm, I'm not speaking there all the time now. But it's a great church. You can check it out online. And that's uh, physically located in Austin, Texas, correct? Yes. Terrific. Okay. Well, John Burke, thanks so much for joining us and listeners of Mystery Bible on. We hope that you have really enjoyed this interview. And hopefully you can tell that Dan and I are excited about this particular interview. I think this is one of the most important things we talk about. And we talk about all kinds of weird stuff and we go all sorts of directions. But for the Christian or the person who is exploring Christianity or thinking about the Bible, 
to take the time to reflect on who God is and what we are and what we're doing here and what he has for us after this life is the most important reflection you can have. So we ask you to take the time to do that and present that and and actually have that conversation with your creator. If you've never asked Jesus Christ about why he has you here and what he wants for you, then ask him, ask him today. And I believe that he will answer you. And we look forward to hearing about that from you. We love you guys. And we look forward to the next episode.